frankly, Kevin, I think that you and I are being canceled right now. Because not everybody is listening to us. Exactly. We have insufficient followership. Are we being canceled because Kesha hasn't done the theme song yet? <laughs> yeah, Kesha, where are you at? That's Why are you going to cancel us? That's a big media cancellation for you and I. Yeah. I think, frankly, because no matter who I ask, I can't get 15 minutes on ESPN. And that means I've been canceled. Yeah, I feel canceled. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm talking right now. Like, Well, you're listening to Cancelled on the Field. Yes. As always, I am All Arthur. Joined today by Kevin. Yeah. That's me. I'm here. Two in a row. Look at that. Even us if go. I'm canceled, I'm here. Yeah. We're canceled. <laughs> if we're both canceled, do our dual cancellations cancel each other out Ooh. and we're renewed? I think so. Nice. I think so. We canceled. Yeah. Go us. We canceled the cancellation, so it cancels out. Yeah. Quick math. <laughs> <laughs> two plus two. Scoot it up. <laughs> ah, someday. Someday I'll be able to do that again. Uh, well, today we are doing this show a little bit differently than we have in the past. Usually we focus on one or two topics and talk about those for 15, 20 minutes a piece and go back and forth for a while. Um, but in the month of January, uh, there have been so many various stories that do bleed out into the rest of the world that we would love to be able to do you know a half hour on each of these but frankly we're not putting out four podcasts a week so what we're going to do is an episode today where we'll spend two or three minutes each is the target we'll see how long rapid we fire rapid fire yeah. yes not doing like hot takes nonsense but just spending a couple minutes discussing a bunch of individual topics that have come up over the past month and you know trying to give some perspective on those um, so I have a list of items here that have been sort of briefly shared with Kevin. He's briefly shared them with me, but we haven't thoroughly discussed any of these yet. So those will be kind of our first observations, uh, in, in discourse about these. You want me to kick it off? Do it, do it, do it right now. Okay. So the first one we're going to talk about, <clears throat> yeah, TikTok on the clock. <laughs> thanks, Kesha. Um, yeah, thanks. Kesha. One day. <laughs> one day. Uh, this is, I guess, technically a follow-up. Uh, extension of one of the things we talked about last time. Um, this is further info from the Antonio Brown, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Arians nonsense situation. Um, when we talked about this last time, we were basically discussing how uh, people were trying to determine whether Antonio Brown leaving the team in the middle of a game was a uh, player's rights situation, whether it was a mental health situation, what the deal was. And we didn't really have any like public commentary from either side in that situation. Uh, and since then, both Antonio Brown and Bruce, Ar Bruce Arians have made the news for various things related to, you know, team operation in that situation. So Antonio Brown made news because he's done just a slew of interviews lately and been very, very vocal since the Bucks uh, were leading up to their final game, which they then lost in the playoffs. So their season is over. Um, but he did an interview where he talked about mental health and basically said that there's nothing wrong with my mental health. And I think the quote he used was, I have mental wealth. Sick. Put it on your mixtape, baby. Um, <laughs> he said that he's going to be trying to sue the Buccaneers over his release. He said that the Bucks offered to pay him $200,000 to go get mental health treatment, um, which he's saying is them trying to cover up some team mistreatment of him. Um, and yeah, he's basically saying that like my mental health is fine. I don't have CTE. This is all a bunch of nonsense, uh, which sort of leads me to think that maybe the only conclusion we can draw given his history of sexual assault and physical assault and battery is that the dude's just an asshole. 
people wanted to give him benefit of the doubt, but it seems that possibly there is none. <laughs> Mental wealth. Mental wealth. <laughs> yeah. I just, God, I think that this is definitely an example of one of these situations where somebody had a particular way of handling themselves like personally and professionally when they were a teenager and a young adult that, you know, in spite of how shitty a person they were, it led to success in their field. Like AB has probably been a shitty person his entire life. He made the NFL anyway, but they think that their professional success is an endorsement of the way they behave rather than like their success being something that happened in spite of how they behave. Um, so similarly, on the other side of that same story is Antonio Brand or not Antonio Brand, Bruce Arians, <laughs> who got fined fifty thousand dollars by the NFL for slapping one of his players in the head during a game. It was a uh, middle of a play. There was a scrum on the field where there was a fumble or something happening, and Andrew Adams, who's a safety on the Bucks, had been there like trying to pull an opposing player off the pile. Had stopped doing that. There'd been like a few second delay, and Adams just kind of standing. They're looking at the other players and Bruce Arians runs in from the sideline, like angry old man style slaps him in the side <laughs> of the helmet and gives him like a, like an elbow shimmy and pushes him, which, um, is maybe mean. a little, it's insight into maybe how that team was run. And I think maybe further justification that Antonio Brown and the bucks both are shit. Yeah. I don't know if any more sophisticated analysis <laughs> needs to be done. Like that guy's shit. And also those guys are shit. So be better. Yeah. Like just hand waving gesture. Like there's no good <laughs> here. Like picking a side in this is just very, very bad and toxic, which is sort of the conclusion we drew last time. We'd have just have more evidence. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We did speak before about this exact thing and now we've got confirmation of what was an unknown at the time. So yeah. And I think the note we ended that last one on was like, maybe some news story will come out in the next couple of weeks to let us know we should be more generous with these guys. Nope. Man, it didn't take long at all <laughs> yeah. to deny that. <laughs> yeah. It was just, a, it was interesting to see everybody on like the player's rights side of things defending AB 20 minutes after he walked off the field and now all this. So yep. These guys all just suck. Yeah. Boo. Ooh. All right, Kevin, what is the next topic in line? Uh, I was going to stick with the world of the NFL and people who are not uh, handling things the best. And this one is somebody who's very consciously not using his platform for things that generally I think are good. Um, and there's two parts of it because one of them is Mr. Discount Double Check Aaron Rodgers man uh, has lied previously. Yeah, he lied about being... He was immunized, but not vaccinated and thinks that that should be fine and now is mad because he's being canceled by the media. They were canceled. He, yes. Yeah. He's he like us. We are like Aaron Rodgers in one way, but not in any other ways. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're both white. Maybe. That's true. We are both white males. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> we were canceled in a very similar light, sort of. <laughs> Except when we're canceled, we get a handful of viewers per episode. When Aaron Rodgers is canceled, he, he gets... still gets millions of viewers and, and listeners yeah, per spots everything on ESPN that he thinks about. Yeah. Pat McAfee. Yeah. And Imagine calling up ESPN and telling them that you're being canceled by the media. You, They're, they're on the phone. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> like, or going on a podcast and being canceled by the media and i mean i guess that's what we're doing so maybe we are just like him i mean he went on a podcast true. and said that he was being canceled and then spoke out saying people are rooting for the packers to lose just because they're not vaccinated yes yeah yep probably I, I is that from, so wrong i from our joint 
Twitter account <laughs> posted about that where like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers was saying they're like, oh, all these people wanted the Packers to lose just because I was unvaccinated. And my response was, yeah, a bunch of people realized that a national iconic athlete was actually a selfish asshole. And when that trust barrier is broken, they're going to root against you because now they know you're an asshole. There's nothing surprising about that. That's the natural progression of things when your public persona changes from beloved sports hero to like lying asshole yep and guess what every fan has the right uh just like every human has the right to consider if a vaccination is right for them i also have the right to consider if rooting for the sports team is right for me and maybe my deeply personal decision of what's best for me and those around me is to to not root for them to win so yeah yeah i think that you know we we had a, a discussion here on on the podcast between hosts and we decided that the best thing for this show and for us <laughs> was to take a public position where fuck aaron Rodgers. even if we get canceled for it because yeah. we can just get canceled for something else and then they cancel out so it's true yeah <laughs> maybe that's what he was going for he's like if i tell the media that i've been canceled and that's a silly thing that he should be canceled for he's trying to cancel out the uh, Maybe. <laughs> I mean, he's shown that he's not that smart going into this, so I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. Uh, okay, next topic. Still staying in the world of the NFL, uh, we're going to discuss Dak Prescott and uh, the situation after the Cowboys lost their game. Now, whatever, everybody on other sports shows and everything has talked about how silly the end of the game was. Basically, the Cowboys collapsed and ran some very, very silly plays to squander the opportunity they could have had at the end of the game. Um. And the situation was that they ran a play that stayed in bounds and there were like eight seconds on the game clock and two Cowboys players kind of screwed up the protocol for getting the ball placed quickly enough to run another play that would have allowed them to stop the clock and try to kick a field goal to tie the game. So they lost when that kind of thing happens home fans that get angry and maybe we're watching live or whatever and didn't understand the narrow time window things were happening in and didn't have the commentary wanted to blame it on the referees that this happened. And so when the referees, the game ended, the referees saw fans getting angry and kind of hustled off the field, which isn't atypical when it's a really heated game for the referees to leave quickly. That's not like an admission of guilt. But anyway, as they were running off and going out the tunnel, Cowboys fans were throwing things at them and they were like throwing food and beer and stuff at the refs. It was really shitty. Fans um, should be canceled. The fans should be canceled. Yep. That, honestly, frankly, in... Lots of sports when that happens. They fans, do get canceled. Yeah, they get lifetime bans. So, yes. Um, but Dak Prescott, after the game, said in the post-game press conference, publicly, like two reporters said, the fans felt the same way as us. I guess that's why the refs took off and got out of there so fast. I think everybody's upset with the way things played out. He basically endorsed the fans who'd thrown food at the refs. Um, anywhere. Obviously, there was backlash from that, and he apologized afterward. He said that the comments were too harsh. He said that he was caught up in his emotions, which I understand. Like, he's mad. Um, but the NFL... So that's one part of the story. Dak Prescott said things that aren't, like, good. You probably shouldn't be endorsing fans being really shitty, but whatever. <laughs> but the policy when this kind of thing happens is that he got fined $25,000 by the league. And so... I think that we'll have to have a longer show about this entire topic in the future about like yes. ways in which athletes are censored by the organizations they play for. And when is it appropriate? And yeah, this structure steady. where um, criticizing officials is a finable offense. That's a five figure fine is bananas to me because there are situations where 
in any sport, in basketball and baseball and whatever, the referee does miss a call. And it's not some situation like this with the Cowboys where the referee couldn't have done anything about it. Like everybody, it was, things had to happen perfectly sequenced in like two seconds for this to go perfectly. It's not like the refs are on somebody's side to make it go off without a hitch. But in like basketball or baseball, an umpire misses a call, a referee misses a call, whatever, you know, you have the video replay to show that the referee did screw that up. And one of the players goes, yeah, like the ref screwed it up or the umpire missed the call or whatever, like an objective statement of truth but because it's a statement of truth that's critical of the ref, the player gets fined. And so I think that there's a problem there in general with this weird censorship, like financial censorship that's levied against players. Yeah, we should definitely do more in depth about that in the future. We should. I could talk for some minutes. Yeah. Yeah, basically in the NFL, <laughs> the standard is that players and coaches who have criticized refs this season have received fines ranging from 12500 to $25,000, which I think is ridiculous. You know, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Yep. Okay. What's uh What's the next topic? Uh, next topic. We didn't previous cor- previously correlate, so it'll be super quick because <gasps> oh I was God. reminded of this. We we're talking about fan misconduct and what fans should and shouldn't do and what should and should not be condoned or supported. Um, I saw a little blipper, blipper. Yep, blipper. A little blipper Perfect. on the Twitter, um, where the maybe I think wife, girlfriend, significant other of Patrick Mahomes was uh, celebrating their victory the other day and spraying some champagne out of her little box booth that they get to sit in to watch the game, which is a fun sort of, that's a fun thing to do to celebrate a sports thing. Popping bottles is a blast. Yes. However, Uh, she decides to uh, spread the contents, this bottle among whoever was below her, no matter what they wanted in a nice cold weather football game at the very end of it and just sprays her bottle all over the fans below, which there's a time and place, but some people were upset about that. Yeah, I didn't see the video, but correct me if I'm wrong. My assumption is she was in a luxury box between the lower deck and upper deck of the stadium. Correct. And so when she sprayed it over the front rail of the luxury box, she basically showered the regular fans below her in champagne. Yes, the regular fans. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. There's something there with class and whatnot. So, uh, and then she went on Twitter and made some complaint about how she's just judged for everything she does and isn't allowed to do what she wants. Sometimes that's all she really wants. And it's like, well, People were like responding, like if I went to a game in like 30 degree weather and then got soaked in alcohol and had to drive 90 minutes home, I probably wouldn't be happy either. Like, and so it's just, I don't know. Yeah. And there's some reputation with Patrick Mahomes' brother being not an optimal person as well. So it's just, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's tough. They've got a platform sort of gifted to them in Truly. some capacity by, by Patrick. And so he, somehow, is it his, it's his place to sort of have them. Is it anybody? Whose place is it to tell them to to not be bad? It's ours at least. I don't know. Don't be bad. Come on, guys. Think about other people. It makes me wonder, (laughs) like Patrick Mahomes, when he does interviews, seems like a regular, normal guy. He seems like a good team guy. But when the people he's surrounded with publicly are all assholes. It makes you wonder. Is he just being really, really well handled by his PR team? And the guy actually, like if his wife, his brother, and then... The person he appears with publicly in commercials, Aaron Rodgers, like those are the three people I associate with Patrick yeah, Mahomes. Usually the people you associate with can tell other people a lot about you. So yeah. maybe. Yeah, the the tweet she put out after um spraying people, she put out two tweets. One said, I just wish I could do what I want without getting attacked every week. Which is insane. <laughs> like what if you want to do is like crash your car into people? Like, yep. I just wish I could do what I want without getting attacked. And then the other tweet she put out is hate is a very strong word to just be thrown at someone you don't even know. 
Uh, There's lots to unpack there. And I don't think we have time. But <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I said it would be super quick. So anyway, uh, yeah, if you've got friends who are not acting appropriately in public in general, you should try to, on some level, make them aware so they can be better. And when they happen to be on this large of a platform and stage, maybe try a little bit harder. So well, it's do also more, it's, everybody. <laughs> it's so wild to me that the response from her wasn't like the response from her was stop being mad at me. Yeah. And the response should have been like, oh, I'm sorry. If you're one of the people who got sprayed by me, let me know and I'll buy you a new coat or a new jacket or anything yeah. I ruined. And I'm really yeah, sorry. Get you some signed let, stuff from, yeah, like, from let, my husband. Like, like <laughs> More like, I'm sorry that happened. Let me send you and your family to like a nice yeah, dinner somewhere would have been local. Simple. Yeah. A simple apology that would have turned a negative into a positive from a publicity perspective, which is yep. obviously what they care about, but Very they fumble it. Yeah. Bad. Okay. Bad. Next thing, this will also probably come up in a later podcast if we uh, do one around Olympic timing. But we might get canceled. So. We might get canceled. This one, we might actually get canceled. We got to be careful. Ooh. 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 Uh, only canceled to our uh, Chinese listeners. Um, Ooh, uh, so yeah, on the topic of the Olympics, we did, I, I did one of the solo podcasts I did, talked a lot about the Olympics. It's come up a lot with how, with the political stuff the going Olympics on in China. will be in China in the coming weeks. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of um, sort of shadow of critique for everything happening with the Beijing 2022. But anyway, the recent update to this is that um, human rights groups, human rights activists, the people on this planet most vocal about use your platform to advocate for human rights, use your platform to call out evil when you see it. Those groups that usually are all about be loud, be vocal have been advising athletes in Beijing to not say or do anything political. Um, basically, they've been having... With like, the reason being for... The reason safety? being safety yes. from the Chinese government mm -hmm. while the athletes are physically located in Beijing. Um, so this is coming on the heels of the uh, WTA, Peng Shui, um, sexual assault... Uh, story where the Chinese tennis star accused uh, a Chinese Communist Party leader of sexual assault, and then she disappeared for a bunch of weeks and then came out, and there was a weird, very uncanny valley type media appearance that happened. Um, but the same idea is being applied to this. Basically, um, you know, Chinese state-run newspapers are saying that surveillance concerns that people have about them monitoring athletes are like fake news which is likely not true like these athletes are going to be very very heavily scrutinized while they're there there have been diplomatic boycotts um and yeah people are saying that like just freedom of expression in china is not really a thing there's not going to be much protection um, and a guy who's a spokesperson for Human Rights Watch has been talking about this topic and athletes have sort of been warned both by activist groups and by like their, you know, national delegations of the Olympic Committee to tread lightly, which sucks. It's really shitty. Yeah. So I don't know if I disagree with them for recommending that. Yes. But uh, in the it interest does suck. of player safety, it's I, probably the right move. I mean, in my mind, the most iconic example of any sort of political protest in any sport is, you know, the raised fists during the, what year Olympic was that? Raised and fists. Wasn't that Atlanta Olympics? in 96? 68. I'm very wrong. <laughs> and it was when, um, in the Olympic stadium, the guys in, I think, first and third in that event. Let me look it up and make sure I understand this correctly. 
68 track and field two african-american athletes yep they're on the podium they'd won gold and bronze in the 200 meter Mm -hmm. and they put black gloves on their fists and raised their fists during the national anthem um and so that's like a powerful protest we always talk about being able to use your platform as a platform which is something we'll talk about in one of these later things and athletes are being advised not to for a safety reason so hopefully even though the athletes can't speak out possibly and we know that nbc who's covering it won't speak out because of commercial no. <laughs> interests hopefully lots of other people do yeah and let's people try who to can do so safely should do so let's try to pin the spotlight on other stuff that actually matters while the global eyes are on china yeah i'm sure we'll talk about china or china well we will but i was going to say the olympics in a handful of podcasts and we should yeah. make sure to dedicate some segment to not forgetting that yeah we have a couple topics that we're touching on here that could come up during that time so we'll definitely do an olympic specific uh special at that time mm-hmm. okay what's the uh what's next cool next i will stay international but we'll shift gears with some cool comments about a world rally championship which started just this past week hell yeah that for, was a great event yes very cool event for those not uh in the know rally racing is you drive a car on some narrow roads dirt snow pavement ice whatever uh as fast as you can in a bunch of short segments uh and you've got one person driving and one navigating um so this was the season opening of the event and uh i've got two notable little two and a half shout outs to give uh one of them is for uh a at least for us fan favorite this guy gus greensmith who's some 25 year old uh extremely fortunate with physical abilities human and also financial and abilities human. With money uh yes which also anybody racing these levels has deep pockets somehow so uh this dude apparently has gotten some backlash in the past for not being good enough and he basically gives dollars to one of the racing organizations to help fund them and he gets to drive as a result and uh anyway he's just is super likable within the sport he will have a rough go and he'll just say like uh we just like didn't quite get it together but you know i can be better and it's a long thing so we'll get better but when it's gone super well which it did in one of the stages this week he won his first career stage and was extremely excited about it and all he said at the end was like i can't put into words how great this car is that these guys have made for me like nothing about how on it he was how great he drove just Mm -hmm. like they did amazing when he does badly he takes ownership and when he does well he gives all the credit to everybody else and like what a homie yeah for for the context of this like i i think that a lot of the hate for him is that fans really dislike like fans love an underdog story in any sport Mm -hmm. having a bunch of money and being able to buy your way into the sport is the opposite of an underdog story yes and in formula one where this is the most visible there's like like three billionaire children on the grid (laughs) yeah there's there's a difference between the drivers like lewis hamilton and max verstappen who get paid 30 40 50 60 million dollars a year by the team to be the driver and And the folks who do the drivers like nikita mazepin who pays haas 40 million dollars a year to drive the car Mm -hmm. yes or like even somebody like chico perez who we really like but he comes from some interesting money (laughs) yeah he gets uh, carlos slim pays whatever team hires chico i don't know how much it is but he pays the team or maybe he just pays chico's salary i'm not sure but there's a financial arrangement where he's backed by carlos slim's you know pocketbook so drivers who get that hatred sometimes it's justified if the driver's good over a long enough period of time in f1 they will slowly transition out of being a pay driver. Mm-hmm. Every driver is subsidized at some level. And if they're good enough or they become really commercially viable, they eventually, you know, slowly the needle shifts from them paying to them being compensated handsomely for their performance. And so the, I think the criticism against Gus Greensmith comes in that same. Yeah. Same and, thing, and so he sort of assume that 
he's bad because he's paying his way in. Yes, and also was at a team that was the weakest on the field by a large margin. And so this year, they've brought a better car with the new regulations and uh, performed better. And yeah, maybe he, people will see the light. He won know. his first stage win and he's Yeah, stoked. was competitive and... Uh, yeah. They, uh, one of the legends in this sport, this guy, Sebastian Loeb, who's a nine times champion, came out of retirement, sort of retirement from just this exact thing and, uh, won the season opener for the same team of Ford. And that was crazy. Dude's 47, um, and just strolled up and beat everybody. But, uh, more notable is his co-driver, Isabel Galmiche. Maybe mispronounced the name. We're not, not French. No. Our French skills are very low. Sorry. That's why we're canceled um, in uh, France and, uh, <laughs> Uh, Montreal, Quebec, Canada area. Yeah, it is possible. I do apologize. But uh, <laughs> so we've got a 47 year old Sebastian Loeb and his 50 year old co driver, uh, who is the first female winner in 30, 40, a bunch I think of it years. It was 25 years, yes. was the number I in read. Still many years. Uh, very cool. Um, yeah, very obviously, cool. in top level motorsport, uh, it's there's generally a gendered gap significantly almost zero female yeah. representation. so very cool to see her do it and i think cool on sebastian loeb's part there was some brief interview after one of the days like oh how's she doing and he almost looked like confused by the fact that it was a question he's just like oh look she is okay like she's caught on quickly it's a new thing like we are doing very well like he was just like why are you even asking like yeah. she's killing it and she's like a 50 year old math teacher who's like students apparently don't really necessarily know that she does this and she said she'll be uh, back in the classroom yesterday actually now Wild. so yeah it's funny i was i was trying to <laughs> super cool because she doesn't do this full time there's so little information about her yeah it's tough but basically <laughs> it looks like somehow in her past she developed a relationship with um citrin the manufacturer and like Loeb used to drive for them for yeah, a long time. That's how she French. met Seb Loeb. She filled in when Loeb's usual co-driver couldn't make it to certain events or was hurt. Yeah, or I think this or, was her seventh or eighth appearance in the World Rally Championship. Yeah. And so she got second place at Dakar with Loeb a few weeks ago. Yep. And then won the season opener. Yep. I think super cool. That's yeah, it's just a cool, it's a cool life. Yep. All three individuals we just talked about. Doing great. Great stuff. All seem like good people giving credit where it's due and not trying to attract a spotlight to themselves and getting to do really cool stuff. Just having fun, so, doing a great, great job. That's, we that's we really, love to see it. It's really nice when you see people that, like, obviously there's pressure on people in these events, but in WRC, I noticed just especially there, there are certain people that are very good at just realizing that the activity they get to do is super, super cool. Yeah. And the number one thing they want to project is appreciation about how cool the opportunity is and that they're having fun and that they're like thankful for everybody that helps them do it. Yep. Which is awesome. Yeah. That's what sports should be about. You get to do a fun thing and hopefully learn stuff about yourself and help grow and be better. So yep. it's cool. Love to see it. Okay. Next topic <clears throat> is a little bit less feel goody than that. Not bad, oh. but not, not as fun. <laughs> uh, the next topic is talking about Kayvon Thibodeau. I think that's how his name is pronounced. Thibodeau. I don't know. He's a college football player. Uh, plays defensive end edge for uh, Oregon and he's projected to probably be the number one or number two draft pick in the upcoming draft he's excellent he's a very very good player he did an interview on ESPN uh, a couple weeks ago and he was interviewing with Joel Klatt uh, and it was basically just a special thing like them just sitting down for an hour or whatever and during the interview the topic came up of why Thibodeau chose to go to Oregon rather than go to Alabama. 
Um, I guess people have been saying, you know, if you go to Alabama, you're going to win a championship or two, whatever. It's almost guaranteed. He was a very, very desired high school recruit. Like they would have wanted him and would have taken him and he could have gone there. And during his response to that, he was kind of critical of Alabama's educational reputation. He said, um, I already hate the stigmatism of football players being dumb jocks. So now, do you know the stigmatism of Alabama education? It ain't the West Coast. It ain't Harvard. There's some words there. Yeah. There's maybe something behind it. <laughs> yeah. The, the issue is that, so he said this, he made up a word in his quote. He said stigmatism, which isn't a word uh, in the context that he wanted to use it. Yes. He sort of grammatically, if you want to use the word stigmatism, you have to structure your sentence differently. It's, it works. Anyway, it's not perfect, though. Yeah. I also read about the same thing we, when we I heard it. I was like, is that, what is he that meant? Real? Anybody who has a brain and is fluent in English. I give him like a six or seven out of ten for that word usage there. The issue <laughs> is that Greg McElroy, who I actually don't know his uh, qualification. I know that he's a media journalist. He hosts a radio show, I think, in maybe in Alabama. I don't know where, but anyway, he, after that decided that he got very offended that Thibodeau had been critical of Alabama and challenged him to an IQ test, which on top of being such a douchey thing to do is just like, oh, you could put a lot of things on top of that. (laughs) So much wrong with you as like a white guy from the South criticizing him for making a grammatical error during a live interview like holy shit do we want to go through everything that greg mcelroy's ever said and if he's ever on air ever on radio if he's made a grammatical mistake it's impossible structured a sentence imperfectly misused a word misuse a verb tense like we just got to tear this guy a new one right so anyway yeah he criticized thibodeau for this i thought it was really really problematic uh and frankly like Thibodeau's comments are not like inaccurate like there is a stigma i agree again i'm not saying this is i I got into it on twitter with some people about this on under our account i'm not for a second saying that alabama actually objectively in terms of what you will learn there produces a lower quality education than Oregon or than any other 40, 50, 60,000 student school. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that there is regional bias by everybody against universities from other regions. Yep. If you're in the South, you probably have a bias against Pac 12 schools. If you're in the Northeast, you have a bias against Southern and Western schools. If you're out West, you're going to have a bias of maybe like weird elitism against Northeastern schools. Like it's a thing that happens. And so unless Thibodeau wants to spend the rest of his professional career, like think about you're, you're choosing colleges and you're saying, okay, what do I want to do? If I get hurt, I blow out my knee. I don't develop into the athlete I hope to be. What do I want to do for the next 40, 50, 60 years of my life? Unless you're going to spend the next 40 years of your life living in Alabama or Louisiana or Georgia or somewhere in the South, why would you get a Southern degree when as like a young black athlete, you already are going to have to deal with so much stigma in a professional workplace? Why would you like opt in to another thing that could work against you when there's really no reason to? Yep. 
Didn't he also, there was some specific program that he was interested in at Oregon, I believe as well, that he wanted to pursue to give him some backup. I think the program he said he wanted to do was less an academic program <laughs> and oh. more that Nike hires oh, yes. a shitload of Oregon athletes into their like PR department and product development and whatever. So basically if you're an NCAA athlete who plays at Oregon and successfully achieves your degree, Phil Knight has a program set up where Nike will hire you. Um, so he did mention that. Which is cool. saying that, and a reasonable that, thing to be desiring to do. <laughs> yeah, the degree he got was in, I think, video journalism. That sounds right. And he said that basically, like, he would want to be able to work with the Nike PR thing, that that would be valuable to him, whether he succeeded in becoming yeah. an NFL athlete or even if he didn't. So anyway, I think it seems like a reasonable business decision to me. I he mean. made a very strong business decision as like an 18 year old choosing colleges. Yep. And now Greg, Greg McElroy is all butthurt about it. Cause I yep. don't know. Like, I mean, I understand defending your university and region, but I understand there's, a, there's your, a way to do it. And this was not it. I also just don't understand the lack of an ability to discern between somebody pointing out a perspective that others have versus endorsing that perspective themselves. Like, the way yep. McElroy's thinking is lined up, like if I say racism exists in the South, and so here is everybody's would, racist in the South. <laughs> no, I'm saying if if I say racism exists in the South, mm -hmm. and so I wouldn't want people to, for some reason, mistakenly assume I'm from Louisiana because they might assume that I have racist tendencies if they thought I was from Louisiana. That doesn't mean that I'm saying everybody from Louisiana is a racist. Yeah. That means that I'm saying that if people assume one thing about you, that comes with other associations. Yep. Whether or not those associations are true, accurate representations of who you are is another thing entirely. I disagree. You should yeah. take an IQ test right I'm now. I'm canceling you, You're Kevin. Take an IQ test right now. You won't do it. <laughs> I believe uh, he's, the, the headline for this says IQ. He also challenged him to the Wonderlick test, which is hilarious because mm. the Wonderlick is being phased out. I don't know what that is. <laughs> the Wonderlick test is... <laughs> wow, Kevin. Woohoo, spicy. Uh, the Wonderlick is a test they give to players at the Combine. And it's like the football oh, intelligence I, test. Yes, okay. And it's like, so you can get a score out of like 50 and people, it's being phased out because it definitely has some strange biases mm -hmm. uh, that make it a really shitty <laughs> judgment of whether or not people are smart. And good thing it is being phased out. Yeah, I agree. Do you have another topic for us? Uh, I think next I was going to go to the quick world of NBA ejections and yeah. two very different kinds of them. Uh, Grayson Allen, if you follow basketball in any capacity for the last five, ten years, whatever, is a name you probably know because he was very controversial at Duke uh, as a problem causer uh, and also a very, very talented and athletic basketball player. But uh, also check the box that has sort of been present in Duke's history for a lot, at least in the media's eyes, of the token white basketball player from Duke who likes to uh, start some shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, Grayson Allen uh, did lots of bad things, intentionally triving people and committing unnecessary flagrants in college and added one to his list in an NBA game the other day. I don't think it was nearly on par with some of the stuff he did in college of sticking feet out to trip people or pushing people from behind, but he committed a very strange fast break chase down foul on somebody where he tried to swipe through with one hand and got arm and ball, which was a good, good defensive play. It was a foul, but it was like well done, but then weirdly like swung through and followed through with the other arm and ended up basically 
with the second arm just sort of like yanking Alex Caruso of the Chicago Bulls to like the ground, not to the ground, but super off balance. And then he's an extremely athletic human jumping in the air to try to dunk a ball. So he fell a long way to the ground and broke his hand and is out six to eight weeks. Broke his wrist. Sorry. Um, And Grayson Allen, flagrant two, gets ejected from the game uh, and ultimately faces a one-game suspension, which is facing some backlash in the media. Maybe rightfully so, because how do you... Should the suspension be any more severe based on the outcome? Like, because Alex Caruso is now out with a fractured risk, wrist, uh, should that increase the penalty for Grayson Allen? I don't know, but it's interesting to consider. <clears throat> yeah, this topic comes up a lot in the context of um, NFL injuries where it's a um, helmet to helmet. Mm. And the player who gets injured receives a concussion. Yeah. Does that make the penalty more severe? Yeah. And the thing is that like for helmet to helmet, they do judge it as a more severe penalty. But in terms of suspensions, there's always a discussion about whether like maybe the player suspension should match the duration that the other player is injured, maybe up to like a maximum. But um, yeah. yeah, it's sort of like a convoluted way of like even outcomes for both teams like you did this to this player yeah. now they can't play so should you also not be able to i would say this it's this, tough this very also, subjective this also comes up in hockey in the nhl because when a player commits an egregious injuring foul in the nhl they generally do levy very strict penalties against them and they have a system where um, the severity cascades and gets higher and higher for repeat offenders. I think that makes sense. And more interestingly, though, is that whenever one of these suspensions is levied, the Department of Player Safety, like president of player safety, publishes like a six or seven minute long video showing the incident from all angles showing if it's a head-to-head if it's a helmet-to-helmet showing how the offending player like leapt off the ground or if it's like a knee-to-knee and you broke somebody's leg like showing how he stuck his leg out intentionally to try to hit him in this particular spot and so they they like published they put out the press release identifying what the duration of the suspension is and then they publish a long form video that fans can just find online help justify yeah and it it i think really helps educate can you imagine you put somebody out for eight weeks and the justification video is a one game suspension yeah it kind of yeah it definitely feels especially i mean you mentioned the escalating system and i think it was the nhl you said where if you're a repeat offender i mean maybe i don't know what all grayson allen has done in the nba but how much do you factor in what he's uh, built a reputation right. for doing sometimes i don't know the answer to that yeah the the legend of repeat offenses is a guy named rafi torres who i think he's retired now he has to be yeah he's 40 years old now he played for a bunch of different teams he was like just the bruiser goon on a bunch of these nhl teams and he received a 41 game suspension that's when a lot of games in college in 2013 uh he was traded to the san jose sharks and in the year prior, he'd gotten a 21-game suspension oh for gosh. basically the same hit. These are all like him just dropping shoulder into some dude's face. And when do you just get him. banned? Did he? Like, yeah, he got bad. to retire though. You said so. Apparently, yeah. He uh, he was assessed a match penalty for an illegal check to the head of Jacob Jacob Silverberg. They stated the hit would be under review. A few days later, he was suspended a record 41 games, fully half of the um, NHL season. And the way their system works is 
his salary for that was half a season salary was forfeited. I, mean, I believe it gets put into the players emergency assistance fund, which is like the pension fund for injured players. Mm. Yeah. Wild. The other example I was going to give is a much less severe one in every way. Uh, fortunately, <laughs> uh, and kudos to the offender for making it less offensive. Sure. Uh, Dallas Mavericks player, Christoph Porzingis in a game, just a frustration moment uh, the other day, was it last night? I don't know. Uh, very recently, just had some goofy incident where he like bobbled the ball or missed a layup. I even forget what exactly happened under the basket. I think it just went out of bounds off of him and in his uh, frustration under the hoop, just pretty harmlessly, like uh, like so many people have done. I'm sure if you're listening, you've seen somebody do this at some point, just like boots the ball with like a little like half-hearted kick and it goes into the stands and like immediately he realizes what he's just done. And it's not like he like, he didn't like rip it into the stands and take someone's head off or anything. It just like harmfully like, oh, like frustrated kick. You can't see my foot kick, but I kicked to demonstrate. Uh, <laughs> I'm and, in the danger zone over here. And then, yeah. And then, I mean, the refs immediately blow the whistle and whatnot and uh, kicking the ball or throwing the ball into the stands is an automatic ejection in the NBA. And so they did that. And Kristaps knew immediately, realized how silly it was and like even like did not contest the ejection in any way or the technical foul or anything like that. Just like went about it, made his apologies very clear to his teammates, to the opponents, to his like coach on the bench and then like on the way out, like very into the officials and on the way out very clearly tried to apologize to the crowd because they paid to come watch the team and he's a very big part of it. And so I thought that was very good on him. A very silly minor mental error with no real harm done. And he did a masterful job of uh, handling it appropriately as he left, I thought. Yeah, that's fair. Which is cool. I think that still very dumb thing. There have been a lot of these examples lately of players getting tossed for really innocuous things. Like obviously this one by rule. Yeah. You boot the ball into the stands. I understand. Rule is the rule. Like, you're not allowed to do that. But you know how there have been all these examples this season last of a player, pick like somebody either misses a shot or takes a shot and gets fouled or whatever, and there's a frustrated player who picks up the ball, and he's just tossing the ball to the referee. Oh, yes. This happened and very recently. the referees interpret the player as having tossed the ball at, at the them ref. or too aggressively or whatever. And players get ejected for this and it's not reviewable and yep. there's no better adjudication system the ref's taking things personally yeah it's pretty bad which i'm sure it's not easy to not do that as an official in these moments but it's just not no bueno no bueno yeah i mean we don't it, like to see it it ties into the same like <laughs> jack prescott thing like how angry is an athlete allowed to be at the officials it sort of feels like a self-regulating problem right like if mm -hmm. an athlete develops a reputation for being shitty to the refs one way or the other. Guess what the ref might do. Yeah. <laughs> like the ref, I, I, I think that refs are really excellent at staying objective, but when it is subconsciously truly like a 50, 50 call or like, so in the fringes, you know, one of those like 53, 47, like very close call. And maybe the ref didn't get a perfect view of it. And they're trying to interpret how the other refs saw it and yada, yada. Somewhere if in their they, mind is a bias. If they don't like the player, or don't like the fan base or don't like the team because the player or fan base or team have been shitty to that ref. Like I'm not saying it should factor in, but I think understandably it does factor in. Yeah. And it's I mean, subconsciously they have an opinion and regardless of how hard they try to toss that aside while they are officiating the game, it it's back there. So right. if it's 50, 50, it's somewhere is a contributing percentage to it arriving there. So yeah. Like next time there's a fringe helmet to helmet, Dak Prescott might not get the call. But 
for Kristaps, for example, like this thing, he had to get tossed out by the rule. It's not going to affect him in any way. Like mm-hmm. next time, next time there's some fringe call, honestly, this maybe looks good for him because yeah. you're going to go, oh, the last time this happened and he did something and got thrown out, he was very apologetic and realized it was silly and yada, yada, yada. Yep. So, yeah. Well done, Kristaps. Bad job kicking the ball, but good job for being an adult afterwards. Yes. And considerate of the fans. Yes. All right. Next topic, uh, back to college football world is a positive one. Yes. Uh, We like positives in the state of West Virginia. Uh, we in the United States have a Senator named Joe Manchin, who is a baby back bitch. It's a controversial figure. Yeah. He's a Democrat, but he's, you know, one of the other, (laughs) yeah, he's one of the people standing in the way of a lot of of important legislation, like voting rights legislation. Hey, are we revealing a political lean here? How could we? Are we canceled? Yeah, we must be. (laughs) Um, so, uh, as the voting rights bill was getting prepared to head to Senate, where eventually they didn't end up voting on it because it got filibustered because yada yada. But anyway, leading up to that, Nick Saban, uh, Jerry West, and some other West Virginia, you know, sports figures, sports icons, whatever, signed a letter to Joe Manchin, basically saying that they believed that voting rights reform legislation was super, super, super necessary, and that Manchin should vote in favor of it because it's important for West Virginia. Um, and I thought this was a good example of Nick Saban, who is kind of a gruff older guy who coaches at a Southern school that we um, talked about already, putting himself on the right side of an issue. Yeah, this is this is the guy who uh, coaches for Alabama, where Kayvon Thibodeau didn't think he would get a decent education or didn't think he would get in, get what was perceived to be a decent education. Yes. Um, Second one. But anyway, you know, Nick Saban has this persona with the media where i think a lot of people equate him to he's like considered to be he's the greatest college coach of all time i think that's most likely true he's incredible um but people equate him to being like the bill belichick of college football which on in terms of team performance is maybe fair i would argue that saban being able to continually recruit teams makes him more impressive bill belichick's the next saban of the nfl but uh he whether this statement from him is a earnestly held belief he has, or whether this is just him wanting to be on the popular side of an issue that will help him from a recruiting perspective as he tries to recruit young black athletes to come to Alabama. Either way, I think he's shown a track record of being very conscientious of what people think and Frankly, like every statement he puts out in the political realm seems to be on the right side of history. He does have this sort of gruff, why do you keep asking me the same questions over and over relationship with the journalists that interview him? Which you might have too, if they were asking the same questions over and over again. Yes. (laughs) Um, But to say that he is gruff in the same way Bill Belichick is, I don't think is fair. Bill Belichick is gruff because I think he's an old asshole and he... An old asshole is just like the least personally interesting man that's ever walked the planet. Whereas Nick Saban, like obviously has a tremendous amount of passion for his team. Like when his I think team he has a pretty sound reputation. I don't know if I've heard a reputation. bad thing apart yeah. from frustration that Alabama wins every year, but that's a, a good thing for him. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Like Alabama is the weird example of the team you root against 
purely because you are petty and they are good. There's not actually anything objectionable that that football program does that is publicly known. Like they're just dominant and it's uninteresting to have the same team winning every year, but they are a phenomenal program that produces well-spoken high quality athletes, you know, that on average, don't like go to the NFL for one season, make some money, get hurt and then get arrested. Like the athletes that come out of that program come out as like really mature, like Man. well-spoken good at dealing with media relations, like all these things. So in terms of like, if there's a concept for like, you know how it with college basketball, the topic of like one and done college being nonsensical and needs to be reformed always comes up Mm -hmm. like some version of maybe like the Alabama sports model needs to be applied to that because they have it nailed on how to like really actually prepare people for life in a business world while also turning them into incredible athletes and Nick Saban his players love him you know he rarely shows emotion but when it does he's like crying because they won a national championship you don't see that out of Bill Belichick so I mean if I'm not this is going to be really dumb if I'm wrong. If I'm not mistaken, they just lost the national championship very recently. Championship. And I thought he was a class act in that as well at the yeah. very end. He just talked about how proud he was of his team and how hard they worked to get there. And yep. he's like, we didn't win, but yep. we did there everything was, right. There was a I was moment, like, awesome, wonderful. I think there was a moment in the interview afterward where some reporter asked kind of a leading negative question to, it was, it was Saban sitting in the middle and Something along the lines of you came all this way and then like didn't come through. It was like his quarterback sitting on one side of him and I don't know who was sitting on the other side of the table, but mm. somebody asked questions to each of them that were a little bit like, how disappointed are you? Whatever, whatever. Yeah. And Nick Saban, like let them answer the questions. And then like before the next reporter could ask a question, stopped them and said like, at the end of the day, like, I'm so proud of these guys. This is incredible what they've achieved. Mm-hmm. I love them. We're going to be back next year. Yeah. Like he, he handled it really, yeah. really well. Um, what a guy. And on top of that, whatever, we sort of got lost in the weeds there of Alabama sports <laughs> things, but this example of public figures from the South, where there's a political bias, in West Virginia, where there's a political bias, being willing to use their platform in a progressive way is really encouraging. Um, it is. There's so many public figures and athletes and all sorts of folks who are scared at alienating people at home and so they don't want to say anything that could be perceived as politically objectionable and nick saban carrying on with the i don't give a fuck what the media thinks about Mm. me when you ask me about defense attitude i'm just carrying that attitude into the political realm and i think that that's very appreciable Um, it's admirable i wish that more athletes would do that and i wish that more athletes and coaches and public figures we're politically engaged on the progressive side of things. We need fewer Aaron Rodgers is and more Nick Saban's is. I agree. Cool. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I've got two things left, but uh, one of them is very, I think closely related because it's sports figures being very admirable people. Um, and this is not even that notable an event, but it was handled so well that I found it notable. Uh, very recently, I believe the Brooklyn Nets are now the homes of Marcus Aldridge and Patty Mills, who are two NBA players, uh, and both of whom played for some tenure on the San Antonio Spurs. Patty Mills for, I think, 10 or 11 years and won at least one championship there. And Marcus Aldridge, I don't think ever won a championship there, but he only played there for three or four years. And they both made their first return to uh, San Antonio to play a road game there for the first time since their departure. 
And so not, I mean, it's not like this was LeBron James coming back after winning four rings somewhere or something like it. I mean, especially for Aldridge, who was only, I guess, five years is a long time to be in one place, but relative to sports franchises and whatnot, it isn't as crazy. But right. anyway, the Spurs put together a nice little like tribute video, which is maybe pretty common of players coming back. But um I thought it was a beautifully done video. It was maybe two minutes long at most. And so each player got approximately one minute of time in the video. And it's got the appropriate number of cool voiceovers from epic plays and the commentators comments and really cool basketball moments. But I think probably close to 40% of each player's time was dedicated to the things that they did for their community and how much they wanted to do that and the stuff that they did with the local kids and local schools and hospitals and just neighborhoods in the area. Um, and I thought that was a really cool, admirable thing. And Greg Popovich made comments about Marcus Aldridge being the most passionate and outwardly devoted to helping his community of any players ever had, which is saying something because as I've said previously on this, Tim Duncan is somebody who's always done an incredible job of that. And Greg but Popovich has that's what I was gonna say, always lauded him as the guy, but Aldridge came in and was only there for three or four years and clearly left some very strong impressions. So kudos to Aldridge for being awesome and using his platform in an extremely positive way directly. Kudos to Patty Mills for seemingly doing the same with the portion of his tribute. He did not yield as high of praise for Greg Popovich, though. So, <laughs> boo, no. <laughs> Patty Mills, also very admirable. And then to the whole franchise and to Popovich for being so uh, devoted to the right things and using their platforms in the sports and valuing the right things in life, that this tribute video, which could very easily have been however long of just cool highlights and then winning championships and winning games and buzzer beaters and dunks. And instead they de devoted close to half of it to the things that the players did in their community, which is I think wonderful and should be highlighted more by these yeah, organizations. It's, it's, I think a testament both to the organization and to the player that in the context Absolutely. of the Spurs, Tim Duncan relationship, mm -hmm. these other players stand out as significant. Mm -hmm. um, definitely the model for how you want to run any any organization yes i have all the respect for that whole franchise yeah yeah i think for for franchise model sports in general right billionaire ownership and teams that can be moved around and like salary cap era stuff like there are surprisingly few teams that on a long on a long timeline are just like great all around yep and god i mean when did uh popovich start coaching there like 90s 90s something I, I have no idea i know they made 20 straight playoff appearances i believe at yeah, one point which is long ass uh, or run. 20 straight 50 win seasons i don't remember which maybe both um yeah it, i think it's just incredible for a team in a sport that's so driven by money to be like actually good for that long he's been there since 96 he was, an, he was an assistant there in the late 80s. Yep. And they won five championships, I think, Pretty in that damn time. Damn good. Yep. All right, you want to like tease our, our last item that yes. we'll get into, into a bit later? Yes. So basketball, obviously, is objectively scored because a team will score more points than the other. There are many sports that are not objectively scored. <gasps> Maybe not as many, but definitely Gasp. a good number. Uh, just this weekend was the X Games. Super cool event. Lots of things objectively or subjectively scored uh, by judges who are watching athletes do crazy, crazy things. But the most notable example of this uh, recently for me as somebody who... Uh, competed in gymnastics for six or seven years as a kid and have sisters who did likewise and whatnot. So I'm maybe more aware of gymnastics things in the media than most. Um, but 
uh, I somehow was not that aware until this year, or maybe I forgot, but the women's collegiate gymnastics competitions are scored by a, I guess, older, more conventional scoring system, which is one... I mean, it's always been a subjectively scored sport, but the current system is very strange and everybody gets scored out of 10 points and they can compete very different things. And there's many nuances at the elite level. You get some set number of points for how well you perform and then some number of points for what you perform. So it's interesting that at this very high level, you have people who just get one blanket score that is somehow supposed to be both. Yeah, it's it's like almost the cartoony like bad sports movie version where like all the judges just hold up like a nine and a half. That is sort of how it feels. I've tried to talk to my sister some about it because she competed in the sport for longer than I and at higher levels than I and follows this more closely than I. And so we exchange videos on Instagram whenever, uh, basically the basis of this is more times than should be possible and an incorrect number of times, in my opinion. I'm sorry to the gymnasts who perform these routines, but I think five or six times in the last two or three weeks, there have been like sports center going like, holy cow, back to back perfect tens for some school. Like, I'm sorry, what? Like, perfect 10? They can't yeah. both be the perfect 10. Yeah, I mean, they can, but they aren't in, in my and I think anybody who watches the video closely and knows what they're looking at. I, and, and what's interesting, so when I did the sport, generally deductions were made out of your 10 points on the scale of you might get a one-tenth deduction. At the elite level, you get down to smaller deductions than that. You can go to 0.05s. And the notion that they found absolutely nothing that was incorrect about this person, like in gymnastics, like if one of your toes isn't pointed as much as the other one, like you lose some points. If one of your knees bends a tiny bit or when you're doing like a triple twisting double back, if your feet become a tiny bit crossed in the air, like you have just lost like at least 0.05 or 0.1. And the notion that these judges agreed on it being a 10 when visibly from my first view of the video... There's things wrong with it. Well, can you explain the, the difference in the other scoring? Because the idea is that right, women's college uses this antiquated scoring system. Yes, but like Olympic gymnastics. And yes, so, I think men's college. I and, believe men's college. I competed with the and, system. And other disciplines use a system where rather than the judge holding up a semi-arbitrary number out of ten, you have an objective like score potential based on the difficulty of what you execute and then you get deductions from that based on errors yes right? so, so it's, it's like sort of it's like a difficulty both. multiplier and an error deduction which still is people using their eyes to judge your achievement but there is a a like objective structure around what yes. you achieve basically uh I think how quickly I can explain this. As a kid growing up, you're beginning the sport and basically across all levels, there's a set of routines for each level of competition. And for each of the events within gymnastics, each of the disciplines, the floor, uh, the balance beam for men, the rings, the pommel horse and similar, you have a set routine for your level of competition and you will perform that as best as you can. Mm, and so you will get judged out of 10 points on how well you do that. Um, but as you get to higher levels, you stop doing what's called compulsory competition and it's called you get to optionals. Choose your routine. You design your routine and there's a whole big massive book called the code of points that rates the difficulty and the value of difficulty of each skill that you can perform. And for any level, you need X number of skills at this difficulty and then they stack up. And so at the elite levels of the sport and what you watch in the Olympics each year, uh, each athlete will get some number of points for difficulty of their routine. And at that level, you're getting like 
five, six, seven points of difficulty. Seven's pretty crazy, but um, uh, I think that I had like three points difficulty at some point in my life. And right. That was very mediocre. But and then you add that score. That's an objective score. You performed this difficult of a routine. You get this many points for your difficulty, assuming you complete those skills. And then the rest of your score is the subjective out of 10. If you do it perfectly, you'll get all 10 of those points plus the rest. Um, so you can get a 14 by having a routine with four points of difficulty and doing it perfectly. Or you can get a 14 by being a crazy person and having seven points of difficulty and, and messing up a whole screwed bunch. Screwed it up a bunch. And so they can visually be very different. You can have a very different quality of performance but uh, or visual quality of performance. So it's interesting because at the collegiate level you still are designing your routine and picking your skills and athletes can do different things but um but on the women's side the same way you could have on the women's side somebody who chooses a very very difficult routine screws it up a bunch and gets given an eight yes somebody who chooses an easier routine that maybe has some visual flair and does it really well and beats them out when in reality maybe they should be equal maybe the person with more difficult routine should like they're Yes, it's, it just it's, shouldn't be the way it is. It's yeah, it's it for just a sport creates, that should be taken seriously. It shouldn't be the way it is. Yeah, it can certainly be evolved. It is like the athletes in college, effectively, the really elite ones will scale back their difficulties to make right. something that's as repeatable as possible. But there's all these perfect tens. They're all happening on the vault exercise, which is the quickest and like you do one thing activity. So it, I guess, maximizes the chance that you don't make any mistakes because there's only one thing to watch. But I don't know. My sister and I both and my mother, who we also talked to about this, can watch it once and be like, no, that's not a perfect 10. But right. according to my sister, who's more in the know, there's some sort of standard sports bias, intentional or not. And the, the three or four of the big name schools are more likely to get the 10s than the others. And she sent me routines from a less notable school of somebody doing something that's better than somebody who got a 10. And it, I don't know. Yeah, there, just, there has to be a better way. <laughs> and it just feels like also like think about uh, this always comes up with like the very niche sports that come up during an olympic cycle for example mm-hmm. when there's all these sports that just in the public eye they lay dormant for four years yeah and then they, and then they come up during the olympics um we're about to see this yep but for these sports where there is a subjective scoring system i think it's difficult i, I guess it depends on like the broadcast quality whether or not casual fans can invest in that. Like I noticed this at the X games every time around where for like snowboard half pipe or whatever, you'll have whoever is the leading athlete throw an incredible routine on their first run. Okay. They get three runs down the pipe in the final mm-hmm. athlete. Who's going, you know, say there's seven people who made the final, that seventh athlete who seated the highest, everybody expects them to win throws an insane routine on their first run. And it's like perfect. And they're given a uh, 92 out of a hundred. The God which is, judges have to leave room for exactly, the hypothetical better performance. It's fully a bullshit score. Yep. And the judges are leaving room for if somebody, they need to leave enough headroom breathing space above that. In case somebody so outperforms that if it. Somebody comes back and outperforms them. And then that leading athlete comes back and outperforms them. And then that happens again in the third round. So there need to be, you know, four, five, six steps above that incredible run, that perfect run, quote unquote. For them to theoretically be able to like judge a more perfect run. 
Yeah. And that's where I think that the the elite level of gymnastics scores, and I think a wise, simple solution is you do have a capped ceiling on your yeah. like execution, and then it scales infinitely in theory. You yep. want to just do harder and harder stuff or go higher and higher? Like, Go for it. Great. We'll give you credit for yeah. it. <laughs> just don't mess it up. And it's like, you know, for, for anything where there is the subjective system, like the X Games do, like I think the X Games system is, I think it generally does yield giving the gold to the highest achieving athlete but the score out of 100 means nothing that's just like a placement like they might as well just say okay you're in first place for now and if somebody else comes to beat you they're gonna go into first place for now i was not super closely watching many of the events but i did have many of them on in the background and i really think this is almost stupid for me to say because i don't remember (laughs) what the event was but i think that i was watching something where they weren't even scoring people were just getting ranked over and over again and somebody would finish and then they would just like that sl- is better they were just slot into second i mean i guess yeah that's exactly what i was thinking i was like this is so strange they're not explaining this and i was Honestly, like you know that this kind of makes sense like, like if, if the just- judges just go okay that person's run was not as good as the first place run but it's better than the person we currently have in second okay this that's, person is now in second yeah that's what got me thinking at first i was kind of mad because i was like where are the numbers and i was like do we need them yeah, do we need them in I this agree. sport I would say that the other end of this, like the X game does an acceptable job at still assigning the victory to the person who achieves the most impressive thing. The other end of the spectrum is like an NBA dunk competition. Uh, yeah, that's a good example it's of like subjectivity. The first being person shows up and does something that's like interesting and fun and like Shaq loses his shit and throws up a perfect 10 and oh my god all five judges gave him a 10 it's a 50 it's a perfect 50. And like <laughs> the the product is just like the person could walk out there and like wipe their ass with the ball and put it through the hoop <laughs> and the entire event is just set up to be like a weird circle jerk hype machine and there's even less value to like it's just it's it's personally i find the dunk contest which i used to really look forward to in the past five or six years to be just kind of cringy to watch i don't think this is an old man yells at clouds moment oh i I think think i agree i think the production quality of the event has declined so severely because they the nba needs every 10 second clip that comes out of that thing to be a clippable social media hype moment and so they force the broadcast crew and the presenters and the people in the arena to act as if whether it's everything the first is dunk moment. or the 20th dunk every dunk is the most interesting exciting dunk that's ever happened i mean the whole contest reached its sort of strange i guess pinnacle of being problematic the other the other couple of years when we got the zach levine aaron gordon back to back like aaron gordon lost both of those i think he's lost two or three and yeah. arguably could have won any of them but it was sort of a weird combination of i think probably the most incredible dunk contest ever featured those two but it also was the perfect highlight of wow this scoring is useless yeah. and bad and stupid because it's irritating because it could actually be a really cool event i used to love it as a kid right. but i mean we have the point where you've got like basically you get zach levine or aaron gordon getting a 50 out of 50 on something in right. like round two and then doing something like 25 percent cooler later and getting less uh, points or even like the same or less points because they're like oh well now the bar has been moved well what? also really it's more like okay the adrenaline i ran out of adrenaline yeah, from I blowing got- my wad over your first dunk that yeah. i literally don't have the emotional <laughs> capability anymore to, to get feel excited, excited and give it a 50 right yeah. like i've i've done too much like i don't know do they like do 
what drug would make you really happy? Like do a bunch of ex- do a bunch of cocaine and ecstasy <laughs> before the show, so you can get really, really All amped right, next, up. Next dunker, here we go. <laughs> yeah, like, oh God, you know, Shaq ran out of coke, and now he can't get hyped for that fourth round quadruple windmill. Like, <laughs> it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and it's uh it's irritating. Well, on this topic, I think that during the Olympics, we can talk more extensively. We will definitely have more discussion about the. Maybe the scoring systems of some of these fun, obscure sports. Yes. And objective versus objective stuff. And also being mad at China for political oppression. Yes. I would like to very briefly interject and Please. go back. If uh, by chance anybody who knows or is one of the gymnasts who got perfect 10s, I'm sorry that I want to take your perfect 10 away from you. You still did something outrageously impressive and should have still won the event because you should have gotten like a nine nine seven five or something yes i'm sorry i'm not meaning to slander you it is a scoring system you still were the best gymnast at the thing that day yes for clarification my Please feel free to come my, yell at me uh, on my social media <laughs> my highest difficulty score of all time is a zero so uh, <laughs> no i mean i think it's fair i think also the it, like it's understandable that that sort of system waters down like a, like how does one track their event to event improvement and achievement if there's no consistent metric right like (laughs) if there's a you need to be able to look and say okay last time in this event i got a 13 i want to beat that next event hey two events later i got a 13.3 and then i dropped again i got a 12.5 because i screwed up and then i got a 13.7 and then i tried a more difficult routine and i got a 14.5 like you know that sort of information is useful to the athlete to you know determine like plot out what they need to do to succeed at an upcoming event it's also interesting historically like if you're a person mm-hmm. who's a fan of gymnastics and you want to plot out like overall evolution of the sport, right? Having an objective, consistent scoring system that lasts for three decades is kind of necessary. Yeah. I mean, like the current world, um, unless I'm horribly misinformed and it's changed dramatically and I don't know what I'm talking about at all, which is not impossible, but I do not think that is the case. Um, I mean, a really cool, unique thing is we've got like gold medal Olympians from USA from last year who are now like competing in college. Right. It's so so funny to me. Yeah, super cool. But like it also is sort of the strange thing where they are like heavily like you can go watch them compete, but you're not going to see them do anything they did in the Olympics because they don't have to. Like they are actually like inclined to not because it's better for the team. I'm trying to give a good analogy. It's it's they're just to have to play down a level it's like if that like the pga championship they played from the red tees like <laughs> yeah or that like maybe if there was it like a i'm trying to think of an example if you could be like the high amateur for a pga event you know and then you go back to finish out your college season and they're like oh you're not allowed to use your driver anymore yeah it's you're, you're only allowed to use up to a three wood yeah like okay disallowing like, nba players from dunking the ball <laughs> yeah they're like i'm still gonna smoke everybody here but like whatever i yeah. guess i'll do the less impressive thing but yeah i'll do the less impressive thing more perfectly and yeah that's basically what it is and it doesn't foster the the growth that we love to see out of sports yep yep i agree there's a ceiling and it's too low and also not consistently uh, kept so <laughs> and also really <laughs> shitty well i think that that is a lot of little bites some yeah, of them we focused talked. on more but that was good that was a long talk. This is going to be a long episode. It's good. I think that's a fun Indeed. one. Oh, and I think that lots of these are items that we can bleed into into the future to uh, focus on a bit more. Um, so this is sort of, you know, 
I think a teaser on our perspective on a lot of individual things that are going to be relevant, especially over the next month ish with the Olympics, which is a context where you can chant USA. Yes. This is the one context (laughs) where chanting USA is absolutely acceptable. Assuming that you are watching an event that contains (laughs) athletes representing the USA and they are performing in a socially acceptable manner. Yeah. And you are chanting in support of those athletes. Yes. This is the rare exception. You're not trying to put down somebody though. Considering that there will be no fans at the Olympics, um, I don't think there will be any USA chanting. Yeah. I think that that's probably a hangable offense anyway. It disappeared real quick. Yeah. Yep. I I could see that happening. <laughs> yeah. We will. Uh, Scary world. We will have many many details about this. Anyway, talk about the future. Be more like the Spurs. Be more like the Spurs. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you want to uh, see me representing us getting into petty arguments about college athletes on Twitter, follow us on our Twitter uh, at AOTF pod on Twitter. You can follow me personally at King Arthur HS. You can follow me personally at K2 underscore Rocky. Hey, you remembered his handle. Today. I did. Very good. You can also follow the show <laughs> on Instagram and TikTok at AOTF pod. Um, I will be, I, I posted one thing to TikTok a few weeks ago that I enjoyed making a little like two minute video talking about that was Aaron Rodgers at the time. I think I'll try to do more of those. I had fun doing that. Um, I think it was an interesting way to try to distill a topic down into a quick little bit and maybe we'll become social media famous. Will the algorithm be in our favor or will we be forever canceled? Probably only time and Kesha knows as long as we double cancel. We're fine. Yeah. As long as we double cancel (laughs) and Kesha makes our theme song that we're going to be good. Yes. Great. Well, Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you next week for probably some pre-Olympic stuff. Yes. Or something totally different. Only time will tell. So many sports. So many possibilities. So many sports. All right. Toodles. Ta-ta.